Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and my guest in this episode is Justin Nelson. Justin is just one of those guys who always seem destined to have enormous success in business. He started making huge money at a crazy young age in his father's business. He outshone, outworked, outthought, and outearned all the older heads. But he didn't linger long. He stepped out on his own and went big. Despite the cracking pace he set for himself, I found Justin incredibly thoughtful, reflective, honest, and self-aware. If you're looking for a bit of can-do inspiration, this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Justin Nelson. Justin Nelson, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for being here. Look, great to have you, Justin. And we're going to talk about all of your commercial ventures that you are and have been involved in. But first, I want to talk about you and your entrepreneurial spirit. You're you're quite a young man and you're already very active in this space. When did you understand that you had this drive to create, to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I got started super young, about the age of about 14 years old. Uh, I was My dad was in the corporate world in the United States here, and uh, he had built up a big division within IBM, which is a big software corporation out here. And long story short, at 14, he was put in charge of outsourcing all of the labor from the United States to India. And at 14, you know, I was naive. I was just playing football, you know, uh, striving to hopefully play in college one day. And I had no clue what he was doing. So, um, but after at 14, it was the same year that he actually quit because basically as a part of outsourcing, he was basically in charge of firing all of his friends in their department and moving all of the jobs overseas. So I ended up moving states at around 14, right when I got into high school. Oh. And my dad actually got into real estate. So, you know, the typical entrepreneur journey out here in the States, uh, become a real estate agent and um, endless income potential. And so at 15, um, he's like, Hey, son, I got a lot of this under control, but I know nothing about social media. I know nothing about technology, you know, at least when it comes to entrepreneurship. I just, I'll pay you some commission, you know, obviously not too much because we're starting this journey as a family with pretty much zero dollars. And uh, he had a nice severance package. But so long story short, 15, he kind of turned over the reins of marketing for him in real estate. I mean, over the next two years, we really, really took off. He became one of the top 1% real estate agents in the nation. Wow. I worked in the real estate marketing department. I ended up running the team at the same time. Went and played college football. I was going to go study mechanical engineering. I was doing really well. And I just said, wait, I'm starting to make more money in real estate than I am even when I come out of college of what I would be making. So I ended up dropping out at 18 from college, gave up the football dream. And pretty much ever since then, I was in real estate four years. I became a top 1% agent myself as well, ran a team of about 30 to 40 agents underneath his brand. And then really from there is where Sphere Rocket started, which is a virtual assistant company where you know I've been doing that for about three years now. So I'm 26 years old now. Primary focus is now on the Sphere Rocket side, which is a company with about over the last three years, we have about 5,000 full-time people now that are under our management. Wow, that is incredible. So when you had all of that success early with your dad and, and in his real estate business, and obviously he was doing a lot of it, and, mm-hmm. uh, and you were a young fellow learning the trade, it sounds like you really hit the ground running. And, and I know that you became a top producing agent very quickly. What were you 
and your dad or, or just mm-hmm. you willing to do that everyone else wasn't doing? Or what, what did you know to do that everyone else wasn't doing, the other 99%? Yeah. So I, for me, it's actually, what did I not know? And what I mean by that is a lot of times people, when they start their entrepreneurship journey, um, they might come from a corporate background. They may come from a company that they already watched, like how it was run, how it was built, um, the goods and the bads. And for me, you know, at 16, I didn't know any better, right? So, you know, an example of this is in the United States for a real estate agent, they might say, Hey, we're going to run an open house for a house. We're going to go sit at the house and we're going to wait for buyers to walk yeah. through the door. Most agents would do one a weekend, yeah. maybe, maybe one a month. Yeah. Well, I, I went to a conference once and this big producer's like, Well, I do 30. Wow. And so I was like, yeah. all right, well, if he can do 30, I can do 30. And I yeah. didn't really have any preconceptions. So I went back and did 30, which was 29 more than any of my colleagues at the time were doing. And, you know, that's when I started to make multi six figures, you know, or, hey, they're like, hey, you can't call a thousand people in a day and ask them if they need a real estate agent. And I'm like, well, he did it. Right. Yeah. So, so, I, so to answer your question, I think it's actually the fact that I really didn't have any like limitations and beliefs that I think we sometimes can gain as we get older. You know, I even find now I'm like, wait, why do I have this limitation? Because I didn't have this limiting thought when I was 18. So I think that was a big reason for the early success. So you know that, that that's amazing. Just the, the work ethic, I guess, is is part of the answer there and not having a limiting belief. What do you reckon it was? Do you think the other agents just thought that it was just the done thing? We only have one open home a weekend. That's just how we roll. Or was it laziness or was it just an inability to see the potential of what might be? Yeah. So I think it's, I think for most of them, it was environment. So, you know, ever since, ever since I was younger, I had to travel across the United States to go put myself in rooms with other young people. And as a part of doing that, because there were so few of us, I ended up running into big conferences and big real estate events where these top producers, you know, were speaking. And from where I was from, real estate agents had never really passed a certain threshold. Like if you sold 30 homes a year, you were like king or queen of the area. And when I'd go to these conferences and I kind of removed these boundaries and I started to go outside the area, outside the country, and you know, I'd go to a conference and they said I sold a hundred homes. I think it was just some of the expanded thinking that also really caused it where a lot of the agents that didn't really do much or do as much. I think it wasn't that they didn't want to or that they didn't have the work ethic. They just didn't even see it as a possibility because honestly, I wouldn't have seen it as a possibility either if I hadn't put myself around those right people. And now something you said along the way has caught my interest as a massive sports fan. You said you played college football. Uh, Tell us about that. Where'd you play? What position do you play? And was there any lessons in that for you? The sports mentality that killer instinct, the winning mentality. Is there any crossover between that and business or is that a, uh, a tortured analogy? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it, there's a real analogy in there for me at least. So playing college football, um, I played at the School of Mines, which is a division two. Um, it was like a all-male engineering school. And I played offensive line, which in football is pretty much the spot where no spotlight ever goes. Yeah, You're not touching the ball. You're not scoring touchdowns. You're not scoring points. You know, No one really even knows what the position names are of the offensive line. And so I was always kind of behind the scenes, yet we had to be the biggest. We had to be the strongest. The we had to be, yeah, we had to be the most beat up usually. And so I think when it came to real estate, a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs, they look for the flash and the, the awards and the like, Hey, I just closed a deal or I sold another product where for me, I was like, I'm not happy until I hit the goal. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I'm not happy about one touchdown. I'm happy about 
not happy about one home sale. I want to get to a hundred because ultimately for me, I always had a higher mission of whether it was financial, monetary, or, you know, something larger than just a single action. Hey, you know, you discussed, you talked earlier about your willingness to make a, fa- a thousand phone calls a day. Uh, I don't know if that's hyperbole or, or real mm-hmm. numbers. It sounds like a lot of phone calls to make, but that whole idea of making cold calls, generating leads, it's an activity that sends shivers down the spine of a lot of us. A lot of human beings just don't like doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What's your approach to it? What's your mentality, whether it's physically, organizationally, or even emotionally? How do you convince yourself that that's what you need to do? Yeah, so I have two answers to this. You know, the answer back then was I had. $20 in my bank account coming out of college. So I had to, I had to feel that pain. Mm. Um, and part of it, again, I had an advantage of just being a little naive. I was like, oh, someone says they don't want to buy real estate and they say F off. Cool. Like it didn't really bother me. Like yeah. my, what's, like it didn't what's really, the harm? Yeah. What's the harm? And so, however, you know, what I learned over the last probably eight years that I've really been in some type of coaching or mentoring aspect of people is I believe at some point, some people really need to work in their zone of genius and, and, and really work in what they love to do. And if you know that your business needs a cold calling aspect to it, and it's just not for you, you know, you're never going to be able to get over that mental block. It just drains your energy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I own a virtual assistant company now. So I obviously advise people, well, we, let, let's, let's become a better leader, right? I tell that person, if, if you want to not cold call, then what you have to do is you have to replace that energy with becoming such a good leader that you can lead other cold callers who may thrive in that environment. But some people, you know, might not be in that position yet. They might not have the extra capital, you know. So for me, it was dreaming bigger. It was dreaming of, I'm not going to be a real estate agent that has to cold call for the next 60 years Mm -hmm. every year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cold call for two years and make so much money that I can get the leadership training that I need, that I can hire the people in my organization that I need. So that way they can cold call on my behalf because they might love to do it. And now I get to go do what I love to do, which at that time was coaching, training, or building the organization rather than working inside of it. Hey, that's that's a great answer because part of it is I convinced myself to make lots of cold calls because I didn't want to make lots of cold calls for the rest of my career. <laughs> and if I could be awesome at that and get myself started and start moving in into a bigger direction, then someone else is going to do that for me. I love that as an answer. All right. So let's talk about Rocket Sphere. It's a great name for an organization, by the way. Tell us the story about it. How did it start? How did you know it was time for you to go out on your own, as they say? What were you doing just before Rocket Sphere? And like I say, how did you know it was time for you to do that big thing for yourself? Yeah. So um, I was still working at my dad in real estate and I was working for a big corporation of real estate, Keller Williams. And at 18, 19, 20, I started to make, you know, 200,000 a year, 400,000 a year. And so I started to rise up in the ranks of the organization as a company. And they're like, how's this young guy, you know, kind of conversation we're having today? What is he doing? And then what I'd started to do is I started to go out and share my message on the road, probably very similar to my podcast story here. I've just, I did 30 open houses. I did a thousand calls, you know, not rocket science, but I started to gain that. And then from there, I actually started to build a coaching program because people are like, hey, how do you do what you do? We also were pretty good at online ads. So I built a coaching company to about a thousand people um, while I was still running my dad's real estate team. So I was kind of like half in, half out, um, which was still okay at the time. And then eventually I was making about a hundred thousand a month 
on the side, just doing the coaching. I was traveling about, you know, I, it was pretty crazy. I was traveling about 150 to 200 days a year and we're managing the real estate team remotely. I mean, at that time, I just had to have a conversation with my dad and it was probably mutual back and forth of like, hey, I, I can't grow the real estate team and be living on the road, teaching, training at the same time. And so in 2020, or sorry, late 2019, I moved to Dallas, Texas, because in the United States, it's the most center point in the United States for travel. Because I knew that I was planning for, yeah, I was like, 2020 is going to be crazy. I'm going to travel the entire world. I'm going to go from 200 days to 300 days a year on the road. I had struck up major speaking deals with national brands and come obviously March 15th here, obviously COVID outbroke. But luckily, what I was going to be presenting, I was selling a coaching program for 99 bucks a month. So I had a thousand members and it got me to a hundred grand a month, but I was starting to work on a little bit higher, a higher ticket product. And for us, that was virtual assistants because I had used virtual assistants for many years in the real estate realm. I started to use them in the coaching company to do all kinds of things, podcasting, editing and social media and just everything that an assistant could do. Read the four hour work week is which is where I got all of my ideas for that from. And going into 2020, I was going to sell virtual assistants while I was on the road. Well, March 10th hits, 15th, COVID hits, every speaking gig gets canceled almost immediately. Obviously, my 100000 a month in income started to go 100000 to 90 to 80 to 70 as people started to chop up their credit cards and go, we need to cost reduce. We need to make sure we've survived this. But virtual assistants, because real estate agents and really any business in the world started to work remote. Yeah. And so people are like, wait, why? If they were going to go hire a new position, they're like, why do I need to hire a $50 an hour, $30 an hour assistant when I could hire someone from the Philippines, yeah. right? Because if I, if you were on this call with me and I had a VA on this call as well, none, none of us would know the distance between each other That's unless exactly we told right. each other. And so people did what corporations had done 20 years ago. You know, corporations from Australia and the UK and in the United States have outsourced to the Philippines and India forever. But the average just business owner hadn't really thought of it as being a viable option. But COVID opened that up. So I like to say hard work was a big part of launching Sphere Rocket. Hmm. But I also got very lucky. You know, I'll always be humble enough to say I got very lucky that the timing exploded it. Sure, I had built up thousands of clients and hundreds of thousands of people that had seen me speak, but the product timing was really nice. And so that's what kind of launched us into Sphere Rocket as a virtual assistant company. And so I really just sat in my apartment for the next year, rarely went outside, rarely did anything and just started to build. I had to build an entire virtual company of staff in the Philippines to support what I was doing without ever stepping foot there. So I had to do government regulations. I had to go through the SEC, all with not ever being able to be there in person. So, Man, it's incredible drive and incredible vision that you have to be able to do that. Because for you to say, look, I, I sat in my apartment for a year and, and did very little else and just built this business. That's awesome. And a lot of people would be sitting, listening to this thinking, well, I'm willing to do that. I'd, I'd be willing to put in those yards to earn the kind of cash that Justin's talking about. But you've got to have the vision as well. You've got to know what the what the end result is going to be, what you're working towards or at least have an idea of it. And that's the amazing thing that I find about your story. Or I'm going to be very grotesque just for a second, mm -hmm. Justin, because most people aren't as open about the kind of cash that they earn as you've been mm -hmm. open. You were talking about, you know, you started in real estate at 17, well, even before that, but by a very young age, you were earning between two dollars and $400,000 a year. And not many years later, you started to add a hundred grand a month to that as side cash. So I've got to ask, what does a young man do with <laughs> that much money? How, what did you do? Yeah. What was your lifestyle like? 
Yeah. So, so luckily when Sphere Rocket came around, um, I, I was lucky enough to need to put a lot of that capital into the business. And I say lucky enough because even when I was making $200,000 a year, that was plenty of money for a single guy to wreck mm-hmm. his life with, sure right? Is. Made a lot, made a lot of stupid decisions. Luckily during that time, I was a real estate agent. Um, I had a few clients that were like, Hey, their home wasn't selling for some reason. It just wasn't a great, you know, market or a great fit for that one. And so I bought a few of those big best investment I ever made because now that's, you know, a big part of my net worth is buying those real estate investments. I always did a pretty good job of making myself cash poor. You know, mm-hmm. I, if if you if you if you followed my story and you got to read my books, you might go, well, this guy's kind of dumb. Why does he have a net worth of several million dollars at 19, 20, 21, but he's got like $20 in his bank account? Mm-hmm. I intentionally knew myself and I knew that I needed to put money into things that it was hard to get it out. Because if I did that, it made me to work hard because I look at my bank account and liquidity, I might have had a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars. And so maybe a little risky at some points, mm-hmm. but I knew that I, I knew the money was always there, right? I could get it out of the real estate if I needed to, but it would require a refinance in 30 days and paperwork. And so just kind of safeguarding it behind that was a really, really good thing for me. I do think I maybe took on a little more stress and anxiety than needed. Mm. Maybe I could have left a little bit more cushion out into my bank account. So that way I wouldn't have always have been trying to push the needle. But I do think looking back that taking almost all the money and pushing it into real estate was the best thing that I could have ever have done. Just to protect myself from myself. (laughs) Just to protect myself from myself. That's clever. So you've always been wiser than your age, I think, right through this story. Now, your dad had, would have had a very clear view of all of this developing because you were working with him for those first few years. What does a dad think when they see, mm-hmm. you know, because in his eyes, because I'm a dad, I know how this yeah. works. In his eyes, he would have just remembered you being in, in elementary school just a few years ago. And here you are, this young man. I'm still his son, not that many years down the down the track, having this enormous success. What do you think he was seeing from this his version of this story? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I also think about when you ask that question, what was I seeing? Because one of the things I saw from him is when I was 14, 15, you know, he left a corporate job, probably making 60 to 80 grand a year. Um, he was also in the military making on the side, you know, 15, 20 probably. And so we had always lived a pretty modest middle class lifestyle. And mm. so even from like 15 to eight, like 15 to 16 was pretty slow in real estate when we were first getting off the ground. He probably made 30 grand his first year. Thank God for his severance package. That was probably the only reason we were eating in full transparency. But he did so much hard work in the first year that it blew up in the second. But it was really interesting because I got to see and watch him at the same time he was watching me because it's the first time I started to see my parents make 200, 300, 400. Like for many, until I started Sphere Rocket, I was just a little bit behind them. So it was actually really cool to see them make it too. Yeah. Because for the first time, you know, they had the extra cash, they were buying investment properties. And so, you know, I think it was probably almost a mutual feeling of what he was seeing in return. Because, and it probably was really, really cool because he had just done it for the first time at the age of 40 years old, 45 years old ever. Right. And then now he sees like, damn, (laughs) if I wouldn't have done this myself, I mean, he doesn't take credit like this because he's Mm. a very humble guy as well. But I know without a fact, if he wouldn't have made that jump into entrepreneurship, I mean, I would probably still have been what I found it one day, probably, but Mm. would have been maybe eight to 10 years later. I probably would have went and finished school because I was number one when I dropped out. I would have probably have made 80 to 100 for a few years. And then I would have been like, ah, this isn't for me. So, you know, I also look at it the other and say, 
I'm glad he took a risk. I'm glad he put it all on the line to allow me to do the same. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Hey, Justin, what drives you at the core, do you think? Mm -hmm. Is it making money? Because you've moved from real estate to the other business that you have now, and Rocketsphere is, is totally different from real estate. Are you driven by commercial success or is there something else? And if it is commercial success that you're mm-hmm. driven of, driven by, is there anything to be ashamed of there? No. So yeah. So I mean, I, I'm definitely driven by commercial success in, in the terms of, I know what my potential is. I, I know what size of a company I can build, what kind of revenue I can build. So I'm always driven to to strive to be at where I know I can be as long as it's within allowing myself to keep good health, to keep good relationships. Mm. You know, I've done the opposite. I've, I've driven so fast that I ran over relationships, ran over health, and I'm still fixing some of those things. But at the end of the day, the success at some level, once the company started to get into the range of being worth 30, 40, 50 million dollars, I knew that tomorrow I could go sell it. Like at one point, probably about a year ago, we were worth about $25 million. And I just mm. thought, well, I could go sell it, right? I could go sell it. And, but what really what I found stro- drove me is I actually found that I was starting to shelter really, really good leaders in our organization that were being mistreated in organizations and weren't being able to shine. Mm. Like, like they had been there for seven years and they were under the radar. And I started to have more fun in the business than ever when I started to bring in these awesome, huge potential leaders that were just waiting for an environment to where they could shine, not be micromanaged, you know, have the ability to make decisions on their own and not feel like a wrong decision means they made the bad decision. Like I think wrong decisions a lot of times are the best decisions. And so I really started to get motivated by that, of course, you know, bringing in leaders and being able to see their lives change. And then, of course, you know, obviously living in a first world country, when you, when you use labor from a third world country, I mean, you do it appropriately, you know, you're also changing, changing lives. Yeah. You're changing lives as well. And so it was really interesting because I wasn't able to visit. So I have a team of about 75 that work in my virtual assistant department. For me personally, the obviously of the 5,000, a lot of those are with our clients, right? That hire us to then eventually take on that virtual assistant onto their staff. But when I got to visit for the first time, it was almost three years into our company's formation that I actually got to visit my team because yeah. COVID locked us out. And so I think I, that really has become a driving power. But you And the nice poetry there is that you were developing a virtual a company that organized virtual assistants for people mm-hmm. who needed them. So, hey, doing it virtually, it's almost poetic. I kind of like that. But, hey, you know, a lot of people would hear you say, my organization is worth $25 million plus at such a young age, I could sell it right now for that or more. A lot of people would think, well, why don't you just sell it, Justin? Go sell it. Go play golf. Go and watch mm-hmm. every game of NFL that's on this season <laughs> and then follow the baseball league around and then travel the world again. But this time, don't do it at a cracking pace. Take your time and walk yep. down the Champs-Élysées. What do you say to that? Because I'm imagining you're not the sort of guy that's going to do that. But a lot of people would if they stumbled across a business worth that much money. Mm -hmm. So for me, like I'm a big um, gambler in terms of like, I love blackjack. I love doing some of that stuff. And, you know, I I do believe at some point there's going to be a time where it does make sense to take some money off the table. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, 
once we get to about 100 mil evaluation, I probably will start to sell off pieces of equity to safeguard the company against things, you know, no different than how some people sell stock, right? Your big CEOs will sell a thousand pieces of stock every week, no matter the price, just to take some of their chips off the table. So, you know, I will absolutely do that. But the reason why I wouldn't just do it now, it's, it might be kind of a sick game I play with myself, but I know that I can build this to a hundred million. Do I think I can build it to 250? Probably not. You know, if I'm being transparent with where I think my leadership skills are, more where I think the company market holds in a certain industry we're in, but I know that I can get to a hundred. So I know I would regret it if I sold myself short to get it there. But like you said, 25 is plenty enough for me and my wife, right? Mm. That's plenty. Yeah. But I'm like, well, what if I want to give the co-founder in the Philippines, you know, because I own the company as a sole, I own the US based piece solely, but what if I want to give my founder in the Philippines that runs that operation for me a million dollars, 2 million. So I'm like, well, then what if I want to give my COO a million or two? What if I want to give my sales director a million or two? I'm like, well, I need to go make 50 then <laughs> to be mm-hmm. able to go give out, you know, five of that. And so I think that's also been a game that I've played is, wait, we're all here. We're on the cusp. It's really hard to gain momentum in a company that really just goes up and to the right on a graph. And so I wouldn't want to cut that short just because I'm taken care of. I'm willing to cut it when it makes sense. The other thing too is, I want to sell it in a position to where I can walk away, which sounds a lot different than a lot of people, but I don't want to be in an exit where they're like, well, you, you need to stick around for two years, yeah. three years. I'd rather sell it at a little bit of a discount. And I, I know it'll be hard, right? It's your baby, yeah. you know, and you still want to have your hands in it. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to be <laughs> at this point in my journey underneath anybody's direction at this point. And so a lot of things have to fall into place. The right buyer, someone I feel comfortable with that will actually take care of it, of a buyer that would come back to me if they're destroying it, incidentally. Yeah. <laughs> go, hey, Help. here it is back. <laughs> Give it to, no, Do you want to buy it back for half the price that I paid for it or a quarter? <laughs> exactly. Sure. Um, so yeah, so to answer your question, and I'd be lying to you if it doesn't cross my thought every once in a while, right? Every once in a while you have a hard day and you're like, mm, all right, well, am I doing this? Call, call the lawyers, right? Yeah, Let's sell this selling. thing. But at the end of the day, when you get on your daily team huddles and you see your team and you're like, all right, I'm actually doing it for my COO's newborn kid, right? Like giving them a million dollars here in two years of holding on is life changing, right? And, and for me, that's bigger than cashing in so I can go play golf. Hey, the first limiting statement I've heard you make, Justin, was when, when you're saying, yeah, I think I can grow up to 150 or $100 million business, but mm-hmm. do I think I can grow up to 250 no, I don't think so. That's the first time mm-hmm. you've said anything limiting, and I don't know if there's a magic line <laughs> there somewhere commercially that, that that's a different kind of business that you see it at, but that's the, the first time you've done mm-hmm. you've said anything like that. Yeah, no, and, and, and it for sure is at some level a limiting belief, but it, I think that limiting belief also comes from the fact of, I don't think I would in when I build out what does a hundred million company dollar, at least in our current model, look like versus two fifty, it's probably a few more people than I want to manage. It's probably mm. a, a bit more liability than I want over my head. Yeah. So do I think I could get there? You're absolutely right. Probably. Would it be at the, you know, I'm a big one of my mentors always says net life. He calls it instead of net income, net life. Like what's my net not my net worth, what's my net life? Right. Yeah. Like like at what point does an extra 100 million or an extra 50 actually bring better to your life. Hmm. You know, and the answer is honestly, anything for me past 10 million is probably pretty good net life. So I think that's just for me, the magic number. It's all superfluous from there. 
Yeah, exactly. All right. Now let's talk about some of the people who have inspired you along the way. There is no doubt your dad played a really important part of this story. You've mentioned the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, and mm-hmm. there's there's a lot in that about working much less, making more money so you can enjoy life a lot more. And it's also a big section about virtual assistants and no doubt that inspired you as well. Who else has inspired you along the way in terms of shaping the way you think? Yeah, it's it's actually funny. I did not know the four hour work week was about virtual assistants the first time, two times I read it. Right. It wasn't until I owned the VA company that I actually someone's like, hey Jerry, four hour work week about VAs. And I was like, what? It just kind of <laughs> taught me that my mind wasn't open to reading that part of the book, even yeah. though it was like the whole book, which is really <laughs> funny. And so people that have inspired me, you know, are obviously a lot of the big names I got to. So like in the real estate world, you know, the owners of some of the biggest corporations that I got to be in the room with. I mean, I got some really special invites at the age of 18, 19 to be in the room with like a Gary Keller who owns Keller Williams. And then um, as years went on, you know, now EXP Realty and Glenn Sanford. And so, you know, obviously those are some more of the bigger names that, you know, have just masterful minds in our space that got to do that. But for me, actually, interesting enough, probably the biggest inspiration outside of family, outside of them, was I got probably around 21, had a little too much money, had a little too much fun, you know, started to drink a little bit too much and really just started to gain some weight, really started to get me into a little bit of a depression funk, as as we call it. And it was actually starting to learn from some of the biggest business names I knew, they all saw a business therapist. And it was kind of like an untalked, like, talk thing. Like Unspoken, we're all, yeah. yeah. It's like some of the biggest, we saw it in football, right? You see it with like Tom Brady and the big sport athletes. And I'm sure the soccer athletes and everything, some of the best people have the best mental coaches in the world. And so, you know, some people call it therapy, some call it mental coaches or, you know, mindset coaches. And so mindset coaches is a little bit of a more manly way to stay therapist, yeah. right? But I fully embrace the word therapy because I, I truly found that some of the best entrepreneurs that had the best net life, the best life score, as I would call it, time with the family, relationships, health, they fix themselves first. So the quote that I probably lived by the most was from my business therapist, Dustin Runyon, and it goes, there's no such things as business problems, just bi- or just personal problems that affect your business. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was really, it was really, he's like, why don't you want to hire someone else? Well, that's a personal problem that you don't want to hire more people, right? Hey, why are you afraid to go take a big risk with all your money? Oh, it's a personal problem that you think that your value is tied to money. So if you lose your money, you might be seen as valued less. And so once I fixed a lot of those identity things, it opened up endless opportunities. So Justin, you've talked a lot about leadership along the way, and you're very conscious and very aware of your own leadership. I'm fascinated to know what you've picked up along the way that has really resonated with you? Who are your mentors in the leadership space? And here's the question that I most want to hear the answer to. If I was to ask the people who work at Sphere Rocket closely with you, how would they describe you as a leader? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's really interesting. I mean, most of them would describe me as super dedicated and and super passionate. But what's really interesting is they'd also say hands-off. And it's actually interesting. I know this answer because we just did a survey of most of our teams at a confidential level, I try to be super hands-off, which has some pros and cons. And by hands-off, I give an overall objective and I give an overall goal. And then I'm like, hey, I trust you enough. I pay you good enough money that I 
I think we'll get here. And if you don't think we're going to get here, just make sure I'm updated, you know, a quarter of the way through, halfway through, let me know. You definitely come for help if you need it. But if I don't hear anything and we get to the cold deadline and I never hear from you, well, then at that point, we'll have a conversation of why am I just now hearing that you're falling so short? So sometimes I have also a downside, but can also be an upside is what they call swoop in leadership, Hmm. which is where I'll swoop in and go, what the hell's going on here? And then I'll get, then I'll get right back out. Um, which for some personalities, they hate it because they're just like, he just came in here, wrecked everything I was doing and then got back out. But for the right personalities, they love it. So that's who we're looking for. We're looking for someone to come in like a hard coach off a sideline. I have a big sports guy. I always tell people the best sports coaches, they get a little fired up sometimes, right? They show some passion Mm. and then they let you go back and do your thing. And so I'm very similar to that. Uh, Do people see some passion from you in the office sometimes? Mostly virtual, which 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 also yeah. makes it hard, right? Because sometimes I have to be careful. I can't text. I can't message because sometimes it gets lost in translation. So, you know, video calls are the best. Phone calls are the best because, you know, even a little fired up message in text can be taken completely the wrong way. Absolutely. I didn't mean it that way. So, mm. so that's, that's a big thing. That's interesting. And who has influenced you? Who are the writers or the speakers or the podcasts that you love when it comes to leadership? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously... Hermosi is a big guy for me, Alex Hermosi. He's a young guy too, kind of came from a similar path as far as how he built the companies through affiliates and speaking on the road and ads and a little bit of things. So, I mean, he's obviously a big one. Subconsciously, Tim Ferriss was a really, really big one. But I mean, really kind of a little bit older school, John Maxwell was a big one that the leadership came from. I was actually just down in a conference at Costa Rica he was speaking at a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, he's a, a, one that a lot of the younger generation doesn't necessarily pay attention mm-hmm. to, but one that's got pretty profound knowledge that, you know, he doesn't have the flashy technology and some of those things these days that the new entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> Tony Robbins and some of them have adapted, which I think kind of, for me, makes it a little bit more interesting. I mean, appeals to me because he's really stayed true to the same principles as a foundation. Hey, I love the fact that you talked about John Maxwell because one of the things that I'm really aware of as an aging middle-aged man is that young people have come into the professional world and they bring their own gurus with them. They find their own. Mm -hmm. And and the gurus that that you're talking about are uh, largely other young people So and totally get it. They speak your language. They've developed their core knowledge in the same environment that you're operating in. But there are people like John Maxwell who will probably be timeless. And I, I think Stephen Covey sits in the same mm-hmm. box as those. But I love Maxwell. And one, the thing I love most about Maxwell is his five levels of leadership. And I just want yeah. to remind my, my listeners of what they are. The first level is the position. I have the position here, so I'm the boss because I'm the boss, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's the permission. And then there's production, the people department, and the pinnacle. And the pinnacle of leadership is when people have – They've hit their peak. People want to be led by them. They choose to follow leaders yeah. like that. And so if, you, if you're interested in a model that you can really latch onto, just Google John Maxwell, the five levels of leadership. It, it, it is inspiring. But I wanted to say that, Justin, because I'm just growing very aware of, of how old I'm getting in the professional scene. And we all have our favorites from our generation. And I think now mm-hmm. the, the favorites are changing. That's why it's so great to have someone like you come here and drop a few new names. All right. Now, Justin, a lot of people are going to be listening to this thinking, oh, this guy is pretty inspiring. I would love to do mm-hmm. just a fraction of what he's doing. 
So if someone's listening to this and they might be stuck in a job where they're earning a salary, or they're selling their time, they might be not fulfilled in terms of their professional career, however that might be, and they want to do something bigger and they're inspired by your story, what sort of advice would you give to people like that? Yeah. So for me, number one is knowing yourself. And what I mean by that is I get asked this all the time by kids going, should I go to college? Should I not go to college? Should I? And even a little bit older in their corporate careers. And they're like, well, one side tells me to leave my corporate career. I should just burn the boats Mm. and I should just leave today and I should take the same risk your dad took. And then some go, but I also remind people, my dad had a six month severance package. So he burned the boats, but at the same time, a little cushion there. Yeah. And then the other people are like, well, I'm going to work another six months and be unhappy, but I'm going to build cushions so that my family can do this, you know, a little bit more smooth, affect our lifestyle a little bit less. And I see a lot of coaches, they go one way or the other. They're like, yeah, burn your boats or, or yeah, build up a cushion before you go. And I don't think that one message is one size fit all. And so I think that someone really needs to make a, like a clear game plan, right? If game plan one is I'm going to burn the boats and I'm just going to go all in. Well, then we need to game plan that, right? You need to have the appropriate conversations with the appropriate people in your family, right? Your spouse, mm. your wife, your husband, whoever it may be, and really get on the same page there before you just go burn the boats and jump out and be like, hey, I quit. So that way, everybody's on the same page, mapping out what are going to be the 12-month struggles. What happens when we get to month four and we're out of money, right? Like, what are we going to do? Have It's kind of like a prenup. Let's have those conversations now and not later. And the opposite goes for those that want to save up. It's like, cool, well, if 50 grand is your number before you can get out of this corporate career, how are you going to do that, right? Are we saving money? Can we, are we making better choices? So that way, if you're truly unhappy, we can expedite the time that we can save up to that 50 grand. So that's my biggest piece of advice because that's the number one thing I think people kind of stops them from making that jump because it's really hard to enact anything if you don't make that jump. And opinion. it's really hard to enact anything if you make the wrong jump for you. If you're the sort of person that needs to burn the boats, otherwise you might tend back, then that's what yep. you've got to do. But if you're the person who needs to set up the 50K so that we're comfortable, so we have a survival kit when we make this move, then you've got to do it that way. I love that piece of advice. Know yourself and, mm-hmm. and know what's going to give you the best chance of success. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Look, Justin, I love your story, mate. It's very inspiring. It makes me feel like a great old loser sitting here just hearing about what you've achieved. I wish you all the very best in the future, mate, and uh, there's no doubt that you'll have a lot of success. It's been wonderful chatting for you with you on the podcast. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. And that was Justin Nelson. What a go-getter. His energy, his vision, his instinct to go after it, well, it makes me feel like a boring old dinosaur. I really enjoyed his story. I love the way he handled COVID. It wasn't a setback for him. It was an opportunity to hunker down, toil away, and plant the seed for a blooming business career. He's a smart cookie, a smooth talker, a storyteller, self-aware, and incredibly ambitious. I don't see Justin cashing in his chips and retiring to the golf course anytime soon. In fact, I get the feeling this is only the beginning for Justin Nelson. Reds, in fact, I get the feeling this is only the beginning for Justin Nelson's fear rocket and whatever else he turns his mind to. 
As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Justin on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. And don't forget to check out my new project, yourstorypod.com.au and get in touch if there's someone you care about who should tell their life story. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.